what if your emotions could be your strongest allies, transforming you from a dreamer into an achiever? What if I told you that the key to unlocking your fullest potential lies not just in your mind, but also in mastering your emotional well-being? Well, welcome back, dear listeners and viewers, to another transformative episode of Unleash Thyself. This is not just a podcast, this is a sanctuary for growth, your arena for action. We're not just talking theory, we're rolling up our sleeves to bring you actionable insights. Last week, we had an enlightening conversation about mastering your mental pillar. And if you were with us, you already know about the four pillars of self, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical, that serve as your life's GPS. If you want a refresher on the four pillars of self, the holistic approach I recommend, or the mental pillar, please check out the episode from last week. Today, we delve into the emotional pillar. This is the engine of your being, the sacred space within you where love blossoms, resilience builds, and an authentic life takes form. Or, put another way, it's your internal landscape that fuels passion, nurtures relationships, and lets you live authentically. In a world obsessed with IQ, we're flipping the script and placing EQ, or emotional intelligence, front and center. But we're not stopping there. We're diving into the depths of your emotional well-being, touching the corners, often left in the dark, from the subconscious influences that pull your strings to the resiliency that defines your character. Imagine your emotional landscape as a garden. Some of it you cultivate consciously, while the rest, shaped by your subconscious, grows wild and free. And remember, they say that the subconscious mind controls about 95% of our life. Now today, we bring both into the light, examining how they intertwine and fuel your actions, your reactions, and ultimately, your destiny. So you may ask, why are we focusing on the emotional well-being? Well, your emotional pillar isn't just a reservoir of feelings. It's a dynamo that powers your journey toward your dreams. From your ability to bounce back from setbacks to your capacity for unconditional love and empathy, we're putting it all on the table. I say, enough with emotional chaos. It's time for emotional clarity. Are you ready to master your emotions, to turn them from unpredictable elements into reliable partners? Brace yourself. Take a deep breath. Exhale. Today, we're not just lighting a spark. We're igniting a full-blown emotional revolution. So let's get started. I want to ask you a question. Why if I told you that emotional intelligence, often abbreviated as EQ, could be your ultimate game changer, a key ingredient in the secret sauce of success? Now, for those of you not familiar with the term emotional intelligence, it's really the ability to manage your emotions and handle relationships with empathy, compassion, and understanding. In essence, this is where you learn to lead with love. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't just self-help jargon. This is backed by data, psychology, and yes, the school of hard knocks. Daniel Goleman, the author of Emotional Intelligence, underscores the transformative potential of EQ by stating, emotional intelligence can be learned at any point in life. So no matter where you are today, Take note, you have the power to elevate your game. And frankly, you are the only one that has the power to change your life, to change your circumstances and achieve that bliss that we are all after. 
Now, we've all heard the saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. I like to flip the script slightly. It's not just who you know, but how you relate to them. Did you know that according to research published by Talent Smart EQ, 58% of job performance is impacted by EQ? That's more than half of your performance at work, on average, impacted by emotional intelligence. Now, this same research team has also found that 90%, so 9 out of 10, top performers have high EQ. Let this sink in for a second. And look, I've been there, getting caught up in reacting rather than responding, missing opportunities to connect on a deeper level because I was too busy being an answer machine or a solution guy. The transformation truly began when I chose to become an active listener. That means generally hearing people out, understanding their perspective, not just waiting for my turn to speak. It's this sort of transformation that can turn your life from a series of missed opportunities to a cascading waterfall of wins. Here's a personal challenge for you. After your next significant interaction or meeting, whether it's personal or professional, take a moment to ask for feedback. But remember, the goal is to understand and respond, not to react. Make that your mantra for the week and observe the difference it makes. Pause, reflect on that. Have you ever asked for feedback and found yourself reacting defensively instead of understanding where the other person is coming from? I know I've done that many times in my life. And since you know I love to look at research and science, consider this future-forward insight. According to the World Economic Forum, emotional intelligence will be one of the top 10 most important job skills by 2025. That's like a year and a half away. The future is EQ-centric. Not only that, but global demand for EQ skills is set to increase by 6x in the next three to five years. That's significant. So you might be wondering, how can I work on my emotional intelligence? Great question. It's one thing to understand the theory, it's another to apply it. Here are seven proven methods that have worked for me and for those that I mentor and coach. Now, the first one, this is something that you hear a lot about these days. Practice mindfulness. Spend at least 10 minutes a day in quiet contemplation. Tune into your emotional state and try to put words to your feelings. This not only boosts self-awareness, but also reduces stress. And it's time for a personal story in this aspect, because like many people that I know in my life, I thought that mindfulness was something that everyone else did, or those people that were into yoga or lived in a certain part of the world. And when I started to look at mindfulness more in depth, oh boy, was I wrong. Now, one part of mindfulness, of course, is a meditation practice. And you've heard me talk about this in the past, and you have seen so many guests on the show that emphasize the importance of meditation. In fact, the episode prior to this one with Tom Cronin goes into depth on meditation. Now, in my life, I did meditation as a practice I do in the mornings, before I get out of bed, before I get out and do the things for the day, and also what I do before I go to bed, and occasionally... I sprinkle it throughout my day. And what I have found is that it indeed shifts my entire being from whatever state I was in to a state of more bliss, less stress, less anxiety. And it also allows you to really see with yourself, allow for more clarity, allow for really more truth 
the surface sump. So I invite you to perhaps go watch the video with Tom or maybe go back to the beginning where we had a chat with Seth Monk who was a Buddhist monk for a very long time of, in his life and see if you would like to add meditation to your routine or any other mindfulness practices. Now, number two is a technique that one of my mentors first introduced me to it and I'm so grateful that she did. It's called the pause technique. So when confronted with an emotional situation, take a deep breath, count to 10 and see what happens. This simple pause can provide the space needed to choose a thoughtful response over the knee-jerk reaction. In the end, it's not about what you say or how you react, but rather how you do that. So how you say things, how you react. Now, look at me. I, I was someone that was such a master at reacting poorly in my personal life. In my professional life, I had a different persona, very, very professional day in and day out. But in my personal life, I had a short fuse, and I learned that this was due to some of my inner child wounds that I since got to heal. But really, look back at your life and see what triggers you, why do you react in a certain way, and see if you still agree with it. For me, it wasn't until I became aware that how I was reacting was a problem that I was able to start fixing it. Now, number three is the empathy challenge. For one week, make it a point to genuinely understand the emotions of people you interact with. Whether it's your family, friends, or coworkers, try to step into their shoes and see things from their perspective. This one was a tough one for me, and I'll be honest, because, again, the way you are raised, the way society is, the way culture is, it may not promote empathy in your life. And if it's not a skill that you learn, that means that you, A, first to become aware that's a problem or that's even available, and then B, you have to put in the work. And for me, this is what I really saw a big shift in my emotional well-being when I started to bring more empathy, more compassion, more love into my life. So I would have a conversation with a friend, a coworker, or anyone in my family, and instead of jumping to conclusions, making my own assumptions right away, I would try to put myself in their shoes try to see from their point of view, try to understand that everyone you interact with, it doesn't matter if it's your customer, your partner, your coworker, they have their own life, they have their own subconscious beliefs, their own limitations, their own traumas. And everything that they tell you can be seen from so many different angles. So take a step back and see if you can put yourself in their shoes and see it from their point of view. It's not going to be perfect, but it will allow you to see things that you otherwise would have missed. Now, Number four, we talked about last week as well, but it's a big one because I find it's very, very important. It's journaling. So writing down things, right? Make it a habit to jot down your daily experiences and your emotional responses to them. Now, this is different than what we talked about last week because we're talking about writing down emotional responses, which is something that not many people talk about. So it will give you a chance to reflect on them so that you can offer critical insights into your emotional patterns. Like if you start noticing that someone always triggers you or something always triggers you, and then you see how you react in those, well, now you have some information to work with. Number five, it's building your emotional vocabulary. Okay, as a man, especially one that grew up in Eastern Europe, this was very tough for me and it's still a very much work in progress. The more precise you can be in naming your emotions, the better you can understand and manage them. So the idea here is to go beyond 
basic terms like happy or angry to more nuanced expressions like I'm enthusiastic or I'm irritated. So this is something that I won't touch into too much into this episode, but I would highly encourage you to go to Google, go to ChatGPT, go online and find what an emotional vocabulary looks like. You will be amazed at how many different emotions there are and how much we bundle them together and then we get confused about what's what, right? And if, if confusion happens, that means we can't really deal with the root cause. We're likely going to only treat symptoms. Now, number six is sick feedback. And yes, you may remember this one from last week or the example I gave earlier, but honestly, external feedback is one of the best way to improve any aspects of your life. Now, it's about being open to receiving honest assessments from people you trust. A third-party perspective can offer invaluable insights into how you manage your emotions and relationships. And I gave examples last week how that showed up in my life. But even to this day, in my personal life especially, I asked for feedback about, hey, you know, we talked about this problem yesterday and I reacted in a certain way or I approached it in a certain way. What were your thoughts? And then we have an open conversation about it. It's not about being right or wrong. It's not about making it perfect. It's about truly understanding how it has been perceived and what you could potentially work on. Remember, not all feedback is great feedback for you. You still have to apply your logic to it and see what resonates with you. But at least give you an insight into what others may think of how you interact and how you react. So number seven is engaging in active listening. This goes beyond merely hearing words. It involves understanding the complete message being sent, both verbally and non-verbally. It will enhance your empathy and communication skills, which are cornerstone elements of emotional intelligence. Now, this was a big one for me as well, because I used to be someone that I would listen to respond and solution right away, instead of listening to understand and really pay attention to what's being said. And again, that's something that I can blame on society or my upbringing, but really it's how we all learn in our life to act and then take for granted. It wasn't until I actually started stumbling upon active listening and seeing how others interact that I came to realize that, wait a second, I'm doing something wrong and I should be looking into it some more. And by now, you know how much I like bonuses, right? So I'll give you number eight as well. And this one, again, is a big, big one that many of us are not necessarily paying enough attention to. So number eight, master nonverbal communication. So our body language, facial expressions, and gestures often speak louder than words. Dr. Albert Mehrabian a pioneer in the field of nonverbal communication, found in his research that only 7% of communication is verbal through words. Now, let me repeat that, 7%. That's a very small number, right? Where is the rest going? Well, 38% of it is vocal. Tone, pitch, volume, etc. And a whooping 55%, so that's like more than half of your communication, is nonverbal. Body language facial expressions, etc. So let this sink in for a second. I would highly recommend considering taking a course or reading books on understanding and utilizing nonverbal communication effectively. The ability to interpret and use nonverbal cues can significantly elevate your EQ. All right, now that you have these actionable steps, it's time to incorporate them into your life. 
Remember, emotional intelligence isn't an overnight achievement. It's a lifelong journey. So take these techniques and fold them into your daily routines and interactions. In the world of high-stakes business and relationships, EQ is your ace in the hole. Imagine going into negotiations, team projects, or even personal relationships armed with the unshakable ability to understand and manage emotions, yours and those around you. That's the power we're talking about here. And for those hungry to dive deeper into mastering emotional intelligence, this transformative skill, here are my top five book recommendations. Number one, Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ by Daniel Goleman. Number two, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves. Number three, The EQ Difference, a powerful plan for putting emotional intelligence to work by Adele B. Lean. Number four, Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. And number five, Leadership, The Power of Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. Now it's time to wrap up this eye-opening segment. So here are some quick takeaways. One, emotional intelligence isn't optional, it's essential. EQ is no longer a nice to have. It's a core competency that defines your level of success and influence. Number two, eight tools to transform your emotional life. Today you receive the toolkit of eight actionable steps from mindfulness to mastering nonverbal communication that serves as your EQ starter pack. These aren't just suggestions, they're fundamental practices that can reshape your emotional landscape. Number three, EQ is your strategic advantage. Emotional acumen gives you a significant edge in all interactions, professional and personal. Use it wisely. Four, think future forward. EQ is forecasted to be a job skill by 2025. Don't fall behind. Leverage these tools to stay ahead of the curve. And this is for those that work with others or for a company, but also those that work for themselves because you always interact with people. Number five, don't forget this week's EQ challenge. Apply at least one of these eight tools in your interactions this week. Take notes and be prepared for a transformation that you didn't think was possible. And number six, books aren't just for reading. They're for actioning. Reading is only half the battle. Applying those lessons daily is how you build an EQ that stands the test of time. So, are you ready to turn the tides and amplify your success by honing in your emotional intelligence? Because friends, mastery over your emotions isn't just about personal growth. It's about crafting a life story worth telling. And all of us have an amazing life story that we should share with those around us. Now, as we inch towards the end of this transformative episode, I want to bestow upon you some bonus wisdom. Consider this a sneak peek into the inner workings of the emotional pillar, the emotional well-being, a framework that has both fascinated and guided me throughout my journey. Number one, self-awareness and self-regulation, your internal compass and controls. Think of self-awareness as your emotional GPS. It tells you where you are emotionally, while self-regulation serves as your steering wheel, guiding you where you need to go. Here's a quick tip. Introspection time. Dedicate at least five minutes daily to ponder over your emotional responses. This can be tied up to the mindfulness exercises we talked about before, or even your journaling. Set up check-in alerts. Set hourly reminders on your phone to take deep breaths and regulate your emotional state. This is something that I do on 
hectic days and I start to implement more and more every day as well. Number two, empathy and unconditional love, beyond understanding to acceptance. Empathy is your ability to step into someone else's emotional shoes. Unconditional love takes you to a whole new level. It's the pure non-judgmental acceptance of others and crucially yourself, right? How can we claim to love ourselves if we don't love ourselves unconditionally? And let's say we hate parts of ourselves, like let's say my body or how I reacted in the past or anything else. Think about that for a second. As a quick tip here, an empathy exercise you can use is next time you're in a discussion, practice the 80-20 rule, which you may be familiar with. The idea is that you listen 80% of the time and speak just 20%. And you also have an empathy challenge earlier in our conversation that you can apply. Now, love journaling goes a long way here. And again, this is just an expansion of the journaling we mentioned earlier. Write down one thing that you unconditionally love about someone else, but also about yourself daily. So in my journal, you may see something like, I love how I approach a conversation right now. I love how much effort I'm putting into this. And you can get very detailed or you can keep it more generic depending on how you feel that particular day. Let's go to number three, emotional resilience, the bounce back factor. Resilience is your ability to bounce back from emotional turbulence. It's not about avoiding emotional lows. It's about climbing back with tenacity. And see, this is where I made a big mistake in the past. I thought that whenever I would feel sad or down or whatever the case might be where it was an emotion that I wasn't necessarily looking to have, I would try to do anything to get myself out of it. I was trying to avoid getting there, trying to pick myself up and, and that's it, right? And what I've realized that with emotional resilience, there are two parts, right? You, you need to feel your emotions first and foremost, but then you need to be able to climb back up with tenacity, meaning that you need to understand that nobody's going to come through the door and save you and be like, oh, Constantine, now I'm going to make you feel better, right? It's all within you. And if someone does come to the door and they make you feel better, it's likely because you did something to yourself to make you feel better about that person and what they did. And now, one quick tip I can give you here is to celebrate small wins. We get so caught up in our goals and objectives in our daily grind that we forget to celebrate small wins in our life. And it's so important for emotional resilience that you want to celebrate each time you bounce back from a setback. Just take a moment, acknowledge it and celebrate it. Be like, wow, you know what? I had a setback and now I pull myself out of it by myself, which is something I was not able to do in the past. Celebrate that. Now, here's the five minute rule that goes with that. Allow yourself to feel the emotion intensely for five minutes then try to pivot and focus on solutions. I've realized with myself as a man growing up in Eastern Europe that I have been taught to suppress my feelings, to push them down, to not allow emotions to show up, right? Crying is not for boys, cut a man up. You can't show any sort of emotion. Now, I'm not saying that's unique to men or unique to people in Eastern Europe, far from it, because unfortunately I've met so many beautiful souls, female, male or otherwise, that have suppressed and pushed feelings down their entire life. And the result is that, unfortunately, we explode as a volcano when they finally come up. We have a lot of trauma and wounds that don't get healed up. 
and we never really learn how to manage our emotions. So I invite you to go through everything that we've talked about today and see how you can apply this five-minute rule into your life. It's been transformational for me. Now, number four, and I hinted at this earlier as well, is the subconscious influence, the unseen puppeteers, as I call them. Our subconscious mind often dictates our emotional responses. Recognizing these hidden influences is half the battle, right? Because you need to understand that your subconscious only wants the best for you. It's there to protect you. But change means that you're running into the unknown. There's more risk. So your subconscious mind is going to try to undermine any attempt to change, not because it hates you, not because it doesn't want something good for you, but because it wants to protect you. It wants to keep you safe. So what I recommend here as a quick tip is to do a subconscious audit. Every night, reflect on one surprising emotional reaction you had during the day and consider its root cause. Now, this is the important part. In our society today, we're always looking for quick fixes. We're always looking to treat the symptoms, but rarely we go to the cause. Now, if you get to the cause of why you did something in your life, it's much easier for you to find a solution, right? And then you can get others to help you, or you can even get people to help you to find that root cause, like I have many times. There will be a separate, more in-depth episode on the subconscious mind. However, there's also a lot of content already available on this podcast. We have conversations with hypnotherapists on the subconscious mind and other subconscious experts. And in fact, next week on Wednesday, we will have a beautiful episode with Joey, who is a subconscious specialist. And one last thing I want to say about the subconscious mind and what has helped me on this beautiful journey is to start creating a list of emotional triggers that I need to be aware of in my daily life. And again, you can combine this with journaling, you can combine this with mindfulness, there's other practices you can combine this with so you can get the most out of it. But creating that list allowed me to now be on the lookout more often and then change the way I perceive them, change the way I talk to myself. And keep in mind, your subconscious can be trained. So if I'm always saying something to my subconscious, it's likely going to be emphasized. So if I say, hey, I always always get angry at A, B, and C, well, guess what? You're going to always get angry at A, B, and C. But if you reshift or reframe how you talk to yourself and say, hey, I never get angry at fill in the blanks and believe it and feel it and be on the lookout for those triggers, you will be surprised at the changes that you'll see in your life. Now let's go to number five, mind-body connection, where emotions meet physiology. Your emotional well-being doesn't just stay in your head. It travels throughout your body. Stress can manifest as physical symptoms like headaches or stomach issues. And a quick tip I can give you here that was shared with me by an amazing mentor of mine is to do something called a body scan. Regularly perform a body scan meditation to identify areas of tension in your body and release them. And this is where I did a lot of progress in the last few months because I started to understand what my body is trying to communicate with me, emotions, spiritual, and otherwise. And this may be tough to start at the beginning, but I would highly recommend that you start, give it seven days, and see the magic that comes after. Now, moving to improve. Of course, everyone knows this. 
Physical activity is an excellent emotional regulator. Even a quick 10-minute walk can shift your emotional state. And here's a big change I made in my life in the last, I want to say, seven months. I started walking my dogs three to four times a day, including breaking up my workday and walking at lunchtime. This allowed me to essentially regulate my emotions better and allow me to even shift my emotional state. Let's say I had a tough meeting at work. I would be done with the meeting. I would get up, go for a 10, 15 minute walk outside. And all of a sudden, my mind gets to clear up. I get to regulate my emotions to some degree and then have a better emotional state or shift my emotional state such that it doesn't impact what comes after that tough meeting. Now, you've got your toolkit and you're ready to dive deep into your emotional evolution. But let's get real. Sometimes the path to mastery is full of obstacles. It's not a smooth sail. And that's perfectly okay. In fact, facing challenges head-on is how we grow. Now, I'd like to address some common challenges you might face in your journey toward emotional well-being and provide you with quick, actionable three-step solutions to overcome them. Let's kick off with a monster we've all faced at one point or another. Emotional overwhelm. Ever felt like you're drowning in a sea of feelings you can't even identify? I know I have been there so many times. Or like you are on an emotional roller coaster and you just can't seem to hit the emergency stop? That's emotional overwhelm. It's when your emotional response is going to overdrive, diminishing your well-being. Now that we've unpacked the whirlwind of emotional overwhelm, let's navigate the eye of the storm together. Here's a three-step strategy to restore emotional equilibrium that has worked for me. Step one, pause and breathe. The moment you start feeling overwhelmed, stop and take three deep breaths. Step two, identify the trigger. What caused this emotional surge? Is it an external event or an internal thought? Step three, and this is something you'll have to dig into a bit deeper, is to channel that energy. And you can use mindfulness techniques to redirect the emotional energy into something productive. Something I have discovered in my life that has worked really well is this exercise of talking to myself. And I know it sounds silly, but hear me out. For 10 minutes, I sit in a chair or I lay down on the bed and I simply talk to myself from the heart. I say, hey, Constantine, I feel sad right now. Okay, that's from the heart. Why do I feel sad? And then I allow the emotions to come up, I allow myself to sit with them, and I get to the bottom of it. And the first couple of times I did this, I thought it was the craziest thing ever. But I remember the second time it happened, when I was feeling sad and I couldn't really pinpoint why, because I had an amazing day and an amazing week. So I came to my office, sat in my chair, and said, okay, I'm going to go through this exercise. I'm going to talk to myself. I'm going to I'm going to see what happens. And I remember at the end of the 10 minutes, most of those negative emotions were gone. And I was just sitting there with this puzzled look on my face. And I'm like, how does this work? It doesn't make any sense to me. And of course, after doing it a bit more and looking into the practice in more detail, I realized that yes, it does make sense. Because really what you're doing is you're allowing emotions to come up. You're not suppressing them. You're allowing yourself to identify the root cause which means that you can apply fixes right away and you can channel that energy into something else. Now, let's move on to the next potential challenge you may face. Is empathy missing from your relationships? Here's why it's a big deal. Empathy is the emotional glue that binds any meaningful relationship. But what happens when that glue starts to weaken? 
Lack of empathy can create a void between you and your loved ones. It manifests as emotional detachment and can lead to misunderstandings, conflicts, and isolation. This isn't just a challenge, it's a roadblock to fulfilling relationships. And this can happen both in your personal life and your professional life. So, now that we've pinpointed that the lack of empathy can act as a hidden wedge in your relationships, what can we do to fill that void and bring connection back? Let's unpack this with a three-step formula that has worked wonders in my life. Step one, active listening. Make a conscious effort to listen more than you speak. We talked about this a couple of times already, right? It's about listening to understand, to put yourself in the other person's shoes before you decide to react, to answer, to solution, to give your take. Step two, validate feelings. Oh, this was a tough one for me. It's all about acknowledging the other person's feelings without trying to fix them or blame them, right? It's like a skill in itself. It's something that I didn't know how to do for most of my life. And even now, it's still a work in progress. Step three, reflect and adjust. Use what you've learned to adapt your behavior moving forward. It's ideal to learn from everything that we've done in the past. We talked about this last week with the whole fixed mindset to growth mindset. It applies here very, very well. Okay, so let's move on to challenge number three. Are you struggling to control your emotions? Let's dive into the world of self-regulation. Imagine having a steering wheel, but for your emotions. That's what self-regulation is all about. But for some, this steering wheel feels more like a ticking time bomb. Difficulty in self-regulation can result in emotional outbursts or even complete emotional shutdown. And let me tell you, it's not just damaging for you, it can bring your personal and professional life to a grinding halt. Now, the good news is that you can gain control of your emotional ship. Here's your three-step guide to steady your emotional waters that has worked wonders in my life. Step one, recognize the signs. Be aware of physical and emotional changes the signal that you're moving out of balance. It all starts with awareness, and I know I can't say this enough, awareness is half the battle. Step two, implement a go-to strategy. This could be deep breathing, a short walk, or even a moment of meditation. I do all of those, by the way, and I have seen tremendous impact in my life. Step three, reassess and adapt. Once calm, analyze why you lost control and how you can avoid it in the future. This one is tough, and it was tough for me, because that means you have to accept responsibility for what happened. You have to understand that you had full control over the situation, but you lost it. You have to understand that no one will come and fix that for you. You are the only one that can fix it. But once you reassess and adapt, oh, magic happens. Now, as we close this game-changing episode, I want you to internalize something crucial. Mastery over your emotional well-being is not a far-off dream. It's a tangible reality, but only if you're willing to put in the work. In the words of Carl Jung, who looks outside dreams who looks inside awakes. So really, it's all about looking inwards before you look outwards. Today, we've covered essential terrain from the of emotional intelligence to the foundational aspects of emotional well-being. Remember, the path to emotional mastery is a marathon, not a sprint. It's about small, consistent steps that lead to monumental transformations. As they say, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step or in our case, a single emotional insight. So, I challenge you, starting today, 
to implement at least one strategy from this episode into your daily routine. Whether it's pausing to breathe when overwhelmed, practicing active listening in your relationships, or recognizing signs when you're out of balance, your first step starts now. And as you take this step, know that you're not alone. I'm with you every step of the way, and so are many people in your life. So let's embark on this life-changing journey together and let's make your story one that's not just worth telling, but worth living. We have handed you the strategies, highlighted the common pitfalls, and even offered simple, actionable solutions. My friends, the ball is now in your court. As always, this isn't just about absorbing information, it's about actioning it. As Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Let that sink in. Life doesn't wait, so why should you? Grab the reins of your emotional life and steer it towards uncharted levels of success and fulfillment. I know we can all do that. If you found value in today's episode, I'd be extremely grateful if you could take a moment to subscribe, like, comment, rate, and review Unleash Thyself on YouTube or your preferred podcast platform. Your support helps us grow and reach more people on their beautiful, unique journeys. This is Constantine Moron reminding you that no one, and I mean no one, is more capable and has more knowledge to save you and take you to the next level than you do. Continue the journey to know thyself so you can unleash thyself and we cannot do it alone. So we're going to do it together. Thank you.